Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world. The way it was and the way it is in your memories. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Welcome to episode 37, Polynesian Dreams Part 2. We'll be taking you back in the conclusion of our Polynesian episode, going way back to the design, history, and grand opening of the Polynesian Resort. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting in with me as always, Mr. JT Couser from Ohio. How you doing tonight? Doing good, Todd. How are you? Yeah. Good, good. Watching those Olympics? Oh, yeah, every night. Yeah. Got the yep. Olympic Channel going, 4K, the whole deal. It's awesome. Woo! Got the 4K, too. There's more commercials than Olympics, but we won't get into that. Yes. Uh, all right, and also from the city of brotherly love is Mr. Brian P. Miles. How's it going tonight, Brian? Greetings from Pennsylvania, the bicentennial state. And you just got back from Florida. That, that did. Our license plate said the bicentennial state for 1976. How many Something names do they have? I feel like I. Why heard don't you them mind all. your business over there? <laughs> <laughs> Careful there, Ohio. Coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're your they, friend they to the west. <laughs> Be nice. We, 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 that is true. <laughs> you are absolutely true. Brian is starting his own uh, vlog series called "Fun with License Plates." Uh, oh. It'll be out in the next uh, couple of years. Yes, I am fresh back from uh, a day and a half at the, or an evening and a day at the Walt Disney World Resort where I got to uh, see the Hall of Presidents as it's redone and got to experience uh, the Circle of Life film in uh, the Land Pavilion one last time. Touch and felt some wall carpet. Yeah, and then I tried one of those pastry cream filled cronuts, which I do not oh. recommend. So oh, okay. stick with the traditional cronut. Oh, There's yeah, enough. yeah. There's my snap response. And I got to watch the Super Bowl with Hal Bowers. Uh, there we go. Vacation oh. in, in St. Pete Beach. And as you know, um, my team beat your team, Todd. Yeah, that's, that's true. And we'll, we'll take it. And uh, congratulations to those Philadelphia fans out there. Well earned. Wow. Well earned. That's nice so. of you. I didn't expect uh, that. We, we got five in the back pocket. We don't need How's that. Philadelphia? Is it still burning, <laughs> Brian? It, it, there are only a couple of things that burned, but if you watch the media, you'd think uh, yeah, there was, was nothing left of it. But actually, it was a, <laughs> it was a it was a jovial celebration by two million of uh, the Eagles' closest friends. And, That's right. Uh, all told, people in the city that day and night, uh, no real problems. Good. All right, and anchoring this show with no pun intended, with some waves crashing upon the shore in a sandy beach out in St. Pete. Mr. Hal Bowers. How's it going tonight, Hal? Aloha, Todd and everyone. It's going really good. And you have interesting sports news from down there, right? Tampa's actually going to be playing in Tampa. So it's no longer the St. Pete Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> It'll actually well, be Tampa, Tampa So Bay. Tampa Bay is actually like St. Pete Clearwater and, and Tampa the city proper. So, And actually, that's not even set in stone yet. They, <laughs> that's true. They have decided they would like to play 
in the city of Tampa, but they have to come up with like $800 million in order to build a stadium, Ooh. which will likely be a billion dollars when it's all said and done. Cause the initial design has an open top and they'd like a retractable stadium. So oh. someone has to just, you know, we just have to mysteriously come up with a billion dollars now in order to do this. So to, to, to move, to move 10 miles from a stadium that's perfectly fine. Yeah. So, yeah that's I mean, I know it's an unpopular stadium and they certainly have plans to do things uh, with the, they would tear down the current stadium and build them a brand new one with yeah. a bunch of other amenities too here if they choose to say that. But yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. It's as always, uh, the owners are trying to get are probably trying to pit one city against the other to, to get the best deal for them. There we and go. Not necessarily the people that live here. <laughs> <laughs> and just to round out the sports news from all four states that we're from, uh, JT, good last good game last night. The Cavaliers taking out the Celtics. We're so. back finally. You're back after you got, that massive. We got a squad trade. again. Got rid of your old boy Isaiah Thomas. He's done. That's right. All right. Cue the ESPN theme. We're done. All right. Well, it is time for comments and corrections as we always go back and take a look at things that we have may have gotten incorrectly or some comments that came in. So, uh, how we've got one from a little extra information about Future Core and where uh, were all those. Uh, uh, members of the band came from yes thanks thanks to ben west for sending this in and also i have to say i apparently spent the last project podcast calling them the future corpse instead of the future core which i don't know if i thought they were a band of zombies that played instruments or what the deal it was, was a metaphor my, for epcot center yeah my my apologies um so he so ben said uh, it was great to hear you guys talk about Future Core. As a band nerd, Future Core was a can't-miss attraction for every time we were in Epcot. The players changed fairly frequently, and nearly all of them had also marched in Drum Corps International, which is a competitive marching league for people 21 and younger that holds competitions across the United States every summer. So that's very cool. So um, I guess the group grew out of this this larger organization. Um, and, and as we said, he, he says Future World's repertoire was very jazzy. A lot of their tunes were the same arrangements played by the Concord Blue Devils, who were an 18-time champions, and they were renowned for the jazz-based shows. So um, but thanks for sending that in, Ben. Um, that really, I think, helps sort of round things out for us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ben, for sending that in. And uh, I think we're going to go right to the mailbag. JT, you've got uh, that mailbag's been getting heavy this month. It really hit us hard. And uh, what do we what do we got in it? Yes, uh, the mailbag was pretty full. Uh, we had a good, good turnout, I think, on the last episode. So yeah. uh, lots of messages, uh, comments, uh, lots of good stuff. But first one I have here pulled is from Paul Giordano. He says, we were at uh, Walt Disney World a few weeks ago and remembered a show in Epcot called Backstage Magic. Have we ever discussed this or found a video of that show? He searched online but cannot find a recording of this show or the first version. Backstage Magic at Epcot. Anybody know about that? I think all of us, uh, well, I know how and you and I both saw Backstage Magic, which was... I saw uh, it too. You did see it as well? Yep. Which was in Communicore East, correct, How? Uh, let's see. Epcot's upside down. So, <laughs> north. So, ye, hang on. This always confuses. This always throws me off. So, east, yes, e- Communicore East. I near the Energy Exchange. It was yes, the or, the origin with Epcot always being upside down that throws me for a loop for whatever reason. Yes. So yes, it is Communicore East. In fact, it's the very first, uh, the very first part where you walk into Epcot right now, where the um, 
where um, guest services is. Yep. Was the former location of the Sperry Univac section, yep. uh, where Smart One was, and the uh, computer coaster, and you would get access to yep. uh, to go up and see backstage magic. So, we're, well, we're going to talk about backstage magic in more detail uh, probably in the future when we do some more in-depth Communicore episodes. Uh, but it replaced the Astuter Computer Review, and uh, it was known for uh, Pepper's Ghost projection of this woman uh, walking. It was a woman, if I recall correctly, the host, and she would walk through um quote unquote via uh, holographic projection pepper's ghost through the computer systems there at, at epcot and you would see how it ran uh and they would show you that these are all the computers that are running um you know the shows and it's the central operations and um this is we found out too is it, it was the actual systems but we found out from different interviews and different books and stuff that that actually created quite a bit of problems of having everything centralized. And a lot of it has been since broken out and, and run in its appropriate locations because of just the, um, the massive amount of cabling and everything that was needed. Um, but how that ran to, when did that run to, it shut down prior to Communicore changing over to interventions, correct? Actually, I think it ran right until interventions came in. From, it did. Okay. From what I recall. Yeah. Now, so when they, um, so when they closed, spaceship earth yeah so there's there was kind of like this trickle down thing so they closed uh they closed earth station to make that a much more elaborate post show for spaceship earth and then when it happened when that happened then guest services had to move out of uh the back of spaceship earth yep. at earth station and then that's they kind of took over that previous spot and that sort of rearranged everything so i think that actually happened just prior to uh the interventions uh makeover i think that opened first out of everything that was going on with interventions gotcha gotcha and there's the most memorable thing about the attraction if people aren't quite sure what we're talking about was that you would be there to watch a like a show on the screen and then eventually that would the screen would open up and it would reveal the computer system that runs epcot Oh really? And, okay. Yeah, like, so it was like secret, see- like a secret backstage tour, kind of like yeah, you, you, but more or less. But it was, you know, that that was the the cool thing everybody talked about after seeing it was that, like, the thing would lift up or spread apart. I forget what it is, but and you'd suddenly be staring at, and these are the computers that run Epcot Center. Yeah. So what's now, there now? Is like I know you just said, but like, is it like anything in that wall, or they just wall it up and hide it? Well, there's rumor that the that so one of the things that they they unveiled during the the presentation was a, a model of Epcot, and uh, it was the original model that was there for the Epcot uh, for a studio computer. I think was still there for Backstage Magic, and it was kind of up in the top of the theater in front of you. And uh, there's rumor to this day that it's still up there, <laughs> but I, I don't know what what is left of the theater. I, I mean, obviously that space probably still has some computers in it. That's where the uh, was some of all thrills was that over there on that yeah side that's ex- that yeah. is exactly where that ended up is right at some of all thrills in fact i think they ended up reusing the old like sort of the walkway to get up to the to be able to get on some of all thrills or was in that definitely in that same location yeah yeah, yeah my understanding is over the course of time it's like the size of the computers of course have gotten smaller and smaller so that is still you know a functional space where they have some computer stuff there and you know it's basically like a giant office that they run the park out of. Yep. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's not as elaborate as it used to be. Exactly. And, of course, my favorite thing was they had a audio, audio animatronic Mr. Eggs there that they would use as part of the show uh, to demonstrate how the computers ran AA figures. So oh, I yeah, I forgot about that part. Yeah. 
there the the and the uh, the computers that you saw had those what are they those discs? How those like they look yeah. like records? A tape. They look yeah. like yeah, yeah they the look, giant. They had giant. Um, I'm trying to think of what they call them, but yeah, they were basically like twelve inch like hard drives that you could drop into the top. Right. Really? You, you physically yeah. handled them to put them onto the platters, basically, that played them. Um, yeah. But the, the reason, and I, it's terrible, I'm looking now, and I'll come up with it before the end of the episode, but there was a movie filmed in 1983, I want to say it was, where... Yeah, that was called Daryl. That's, that's it. right, yes. Where they actually run through that room and... So there, there, there were movie scenes filmed there in that computer scene room, so you can still see it as it was. Oh, okay, Daryl. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. Um, it's very, very wow. I learned a lot on that one. Okay. Um, good. And we're we're just scratching the surface. We will do a very full. <clears throat> I'm gonna go get Daryl now. Go over of that. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably. Is it just a horrible movie, and that's the only scene I'm interested in, or? No, it was. It's kind of like a modern day Pinocchio, uh, and I think <laughs> through the uh, computer system of Epcot, that's <laughs> right. And uh, Michael McKeon's in it, I think, from Laverne yeah. and Shirley, and many other things. So, so right. it's ni- 1985. It it was made, and it was filmed at Pinewood Studios in Orlando, Florida, and in Dillsboro, North Carolina. All right, Daryl. Okay. We'll link that IMDb on the website when we post the show notes. I'm sure. Yeah. Um. All right, Paul. So your your time's up. Good work. Good question, Paul. Thank you. Um. Next up is from Brent. Uh. Brent is the creative director of Super Seventy Eight. He uh just wanted to let us know that he uh sent us some pictures. Actually, did you guys see these? They're gorgeous. Yeah. He's he's just on a incredible. legit jungle cruise. And what's he doing there? He's actually like filming something, right? Like like location shooting type thing. I think they're doing some location scouting, yeah. Okay, and he just for wanted a project. Yeah, he he was going to tell us that uh, is they're just kind of binge listening to the show, and you know, it was just really cool to hear from somebody like that out, you know, where they kind of listen to the show. Do you guys agree? I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, we've we've actually so Brett is the host of the um, of the seasons past podcast, and and we've referenced his podcast several times. He's he's done a lot of great interviews mm-hmm. with Tony Baxter and Ted Delaney, not Ted Delaney, sorry Tom Delaney, and uh, he just they just did another recent one with Tony Baxter and um, oh and um, Tom K. Morris together, which was fantastic. So uh, I encourage all the listeners to go find the podcast and and listen to it because he he does some fantastic interviews. Um, t- totally worth your time. Just some the stuff with Tony Baxter was absolutely mind blowing. All right, so thank you, Brent, and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy your trip there. That's pretty crazy looking. You never catch me out there, but that's neat. Our next message is from Kurt D. Phillips. Uh, Kurt sent us a solid load of pictures here from the Polynesian. Did you guys get a look at these things? The folder, the ephemera, oh, the, the the notepad, the, uh, yeah. the envelope, just legit. It looks just like House shirt, actually. Uh, you know, he, <laughs> I like to see him write a letter. It, it's, if he needs to get that that uh, that that shirt pressed, um, just so you know, how if you want it cleaned and pressed, it's a dollar fifty, uh, but you'll save fifty cents if you just get it pressed. So you know, make sure you keep some spills <laughs> off of that shirt. And- <laughs> 
And this was the valet service from uh, 79. That's awesome. And on a similar note, just I, I don't have the name of the person. I could dig it up here when I we post the pictures. We got those uh, contemporary resort ones, too, going. Like, it had, like, the room dial controls. The guy from uh, the Facebook group posted those. He said we could share those. Had the uh, oh, yes. we, we talked about this, too. It had the pager system and the teletype Brian was schooling me on, on the whole system. You could get a typewriter sent to your room. You could they had two different pager services you could buy, and you could the telex, the telex number for if you needed to receive or send a telex while you were there, which was the precursor to the fax machine. Yeah, Fa- yeah foreign yeah. language translation. Don't forget that one. That was a service offered too. Yeah, it's just crazy to me all this old stuff. So you look at this old ephemera, which we'll post it all, and we have a lot posted now, but uh, it's it just kind of blows my mind the the stuff that used to be offered. Now it seems like. You can barely get help with your magic band, let alone, you know. Translation and directions and everything else is just on your phone now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that's true. It's amazing that these are services that are now just uh, accustomed to, you know, you're carrying in your pocket. All right. So lots of good stuff we got this month. Uh, so if you want to get on the show, potentially share something with us, podcast at retrowdw.com. Send us a message on there. Uh, you can send us a tweet. You can reach out to us just about any possible way you can find us. We will potentially get it and potentially put you on the show. So, um, Or you can leave us a voicemail. I think we got one or two, maybe. Did we get one? I feel like we got one. I don't remember. Nope, nothing. All right. Well, where can they send us a voicemail, Todd? They can send it to 97871Retro. You got three minutes to leave your message, and we'll get you on the air. Perfect. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, it's time for this month's Audio Rewind. Now, last month, be honest with me, guys. Did you get it before the answers started coming in? Because we only got a few answers this month. I don't even remember what last month's was. <laughs> did you get um, it, How? I did get it. You did know. You know nope. I'm a nerd. So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. All right. So in the spirit of Danny Kay and the opening, uh, grand opening celebration of Epcot, he sang a song about what Epcot wasn't. After you take a listen to last month's Audi Rewind, we're going to tell you everything that this Rewind wasn't. All right, so... What wasn't that audio rewind? Well, we had a lot of guesses come in, and these are the things that it's not. Uh, we had a lot of guesses for the Japan Epcot Pavilion, uh, a number of them for Reflections of China, the background loop in the Polynesian, and this I, this was a good one. Um, if you had wings because of some of the Asian scenes, and I, I would have even thought somebody would have thought Dream Flight as well. Mm. Um However, I think we stumped a lot of you. Um, it was actually from World of Motion in the rickshaw scene. So it was a tough one. It was a tough one. So maybe we'll make this month a little easier. But we do have a winner. Congratulations to Daniel Smay. Uh, you'll be receiving the eyes and ears from 1975. And uh, before we get into this month's Audio Rewind, we need to add a prize. So in the spirit of the Olympics, guys, we have a... Grand opening, metal. It says the dawn of a new Disney era. It comes in a nice little uh, opening card here with a circle cut out. The uh, the metals kind of attached. The 
tape has given away over the years. Uh, so we're going to be giving that away if you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind. You could fly to a plaza where the people play At a Mexican fiesta in that land of Olay all right, if you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind, send your guesses to podcast at retrowdw.com. All entries must be received by March 12th, 2018. One random winner from all guesses will be chosen to win this month's prize. And with that, we need something for the big prize pot. JT, you got the list so far. What do we, what do we got in there? I do have the list. All right, for the first um, item in the prize pot, we had some Epcot posters. Uh, the next thing we had was the retro WDW embroidered hat, and also uh, it was a McFarkle's Christmas card. That's right, that's right. And this month we're going to add in, again, keeping in the spirit of the Olympics here, this is a grand opening big token medal. Let's see, what's the size on this thing? It's, it's, it's pretty large. It's got a diameter of about over two and a half inches. Whoa. Weighs, yeah, weighs a good couple ounces. Has official opening up cut center nineteen eighty two with the logo, and it has all of the six original uh, pavilion logos of Future World, and then World Showcase with some banners on it as well. So we'll be including that in the prize pot for June. So the cost of shipping just went up on the prize pot. Let me tell <laughs> right. you, folks, just for that that one piece. So all entries that are received between January and June of 2018 will be entered into the drawing for the prize pot, no matter if the answers are correct or not. So good luck, and once again, send your entries to podcast at retrowdw.com. All right, so last month we started our journey through Polynesian Dreams in Polynesian Dreams Part 1, and this month we're going to be going over into Part 2. So just as a recap, last month we talked about the history and some of the original design concepts of the Polynesian Resort, and uh, now we're going to get into what it was like after it opened, uh, all post-construction, some of the different services and things that were offered in the early years, a lot of our own personal memories, and uh, I know that a lot of you out there have your personal memories because I will say in the past 35, 40 days since uh, since part one has been out there, it has been our most listened to episode in just a short period of time. Um, easily over 5,000 listens just as tonight as we're recording that. And that's beat the pants off a couple of our previous episodes for such a short period of time. So thank you for listening. I know we've hit a chord with everybody and uh, I think a lot of people really enjoyed this episode. So we're looking forward to making part two is as, just as exciting so without further ado again the master of ceremonies for our luau this evening is mr hal bowers all right well <laughs> i have one one correction to make from from last month that just kick things off because remember we were talking about the rapid pace of construction and how mm-hmm. they started in like march or something and they were actually open by september Correct, right. And and uh, I was going through some documents on this one, and I discovered that they actually opened only half of the resort on uh, on September 1st. Oh. So, so everything on the east side was open, but the west side, including Bally High, was not scheduled to get finished until November 15th. So uh, I thought that was interesting because I assumed the, the information that I had seen up until this point was that, like, oh, it all opened and... 
so that I guess they were still working on it for another month. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, so, we've got some clarification. Yeah. So, anyways, so let's get let's get down to some the nitty gritty here. So yeah. Um. So one of the things that I I think I want to try to let everybody know about is is sort of what the design intent of the hotel was because I, I think that's one of the things that's uh, as time has gone on it's gotten kind of confusing. You know, is it you look at uh, developments like Alawani, which are you know super duper Hawaiian. And, you know, very enriched with, uh, with like, the, the local culture and and that stuff. And, and then you've got, you know, the Polynesian, which is a themed resort, but isn't necessarily to that level. Um, so, I, you know, what was your take on it, Todd? You've, you've stayed there several times, right? Oh, many times over the years, yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of it goes back to my original thought processes that the, a lot of this came out of the, the tiki culture of the 60s and 70s. And some of it was, uh, I don't want to say force, but adding palm, palms and, and dark woods and, and the design and the motif, um, you know, gave that South Seas flair to it and, and throwing in the music and everything like that. But it's such a unique property. And I don't think anybody's ever really tried to replicate it. I mean, I, I know the Lowe's Pacific, you know, over, over at Universal tries to be that but it, it has a a much more contemporary polynesian feel to it um so yeah you know it, it's one of my favorites I, I think also too what people really really like about it is it's a very calming relaxed atmosphere the way that it's set up with with the long houses at 90 degree angles to each other it's very difficult to look across and see things and it really gives a very close-knit feel to it um I haven't been to Polynesia, <laughs> real Polynesia. See, that's how they put their built longhouses together, uh, arrange them. But um, yeah, it's always been one of my favorites as well. Yeah. So I, I think you really touched on some of the core principles there. So it, it's not really trying to be a uh, like an exact duplication of any one Polynesian thing or, you know, it's not a, an authentic thing. It's a it's a very modern hotel. Um, yeah. that happens to be Polynesian themed. And that was always kind of the concept. And you, you um, made a great point, though, because if you, if you look across the way now at, at the Grand Floridian, it's trying to be something, right? It's trying to be one of the grand Flor- you know, hotels that were on the Florida coast. It It's representing what Flagler built. It's representing the, the Del Coronado out on, on the beaches of California, out in San Diego. Uh, it's trying to be something. And all the other resorts are on there. There's Bane Dog uh, coming into the background. <laughs> um, all the other resorts uh, at Disney, you know, are, are really trying hard to to immerse you in, in a belief, but as you you know that that has more substantial background to it. Right. I'm There's, oh, I'm really in New Orleans. Right. I'm at exactly. The exactly. Resort, and yeah. I'm in the Caribbean beach because it's painted in pastels. <laughs> yeah. You know? so in the Caribbean. Um, so I think that that's part of the mystique of this is that, as you point out, it's not supposed to be something and it just pulls you in in a much different way. Yeah. So I thought this is interesting. So I have this document from 1971 called an introduction to the resort division of Walt Disney world. Sounds absolutely fascinating. And I know, but Uh, This is what it has to say about the Polynesian Resort. This is how it describes it. Nestled in the luxuriant landscaping of the southern shores of the South Seas Lagoon. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. Nestled in the luxuriant landscaping of the southern shores of the South Seas Lagoon is the Polynesian Village Resort Hotel. Maui, the god of vacations, slows down the sun to make the days longer so our guests may enjoy the slower-paced, more casual atmosphere of this delightful uh, South Seas Resort. So 
I think that's really what they're trying to do. Uh, it's funny. It's like, although it is a very high end feel, it's like they were trying to give it more of a sense of casualness. Yeah. You know, versus the contemporary. So that way, you know, you can, there's a point of differentiation between the two. Um, although they were both very modern, but I, I, I thought that was kind of cool that they sort of frame that up for the people that were working there. That's what this document was made for. So people that were joining the resort division could sort of get a feel of, of, of what everything was. And if you line the three resorts up that ad opening, yeah, you have the very formal, clean, 90 degree angle, contemporary. You had the laid back um, Polynesian and then you had Fort Wilderness where, you know, it was even more laid back and anything goes with nature, you know. Right. Very uh, so rustic. It, very, very rustic. So so really, yeah, it, it, I, I, you can see what they're doing there is that they're, they're, they're creating three different atmospheres. Yeah. And, and to the point of, of it being Hawaiian, it's like, I know a lot of people really think today of the Polynesian Resort being, you know, Hawaiian. Right, right. Um, but if you look at the names around the resort, especially back then when it opened, you know, it was really trying to be Polynesian, but it, but it actually had a little bit of a slight emphasis on Tahiti. So the waters just offshore the resort are called Papite Bay, um, which is uh, a very famous bay like in Tahiti, like uh, mm-hmm. the capital there. Um, and the menu in the Pepite V Veranda restaurant uh, spells out the intent quite clearly. It says, the enchantment of the South Seas, Fiji, Samoa, Hawaii, Bora Bora, Tonga, and of course, Tahiti is yours to enjoy here in Walt Disney World. Many tropical adventures await you at the Polynesian Village, from the thrill of joining 40 natives riding an outrigger canoe over the lagoon, to setting a casual course for two on a catamaran, water fun abounds. Or, if you prefer, simply relax on the beach or beside the coral blue swimming pool. The Tahitians have a phrase, Ata pae e teha'a, which means there will be another day tomorrow, just like today. So relax and enjoy your stay at the Polynesian Village. So that's a very lengthy way to basically say not to worry. So it's, that was sort of the original Hakuna Matata. Yeah. But that, yeah. that phrase was actually in very large letters at the bottom of the menu. So... Uh, it they it wasn't an aloha. It's like this was a more of a Tahitian feel. Hmm. So I, I think that's just kind of an important. Uh, I think a philosophy that they had at the beginning. Now as time went on, uh, in the nineties they actually did bring over uh, a general manager from Hawaii to take over resort to try to give it more of a authentic feel, and they brought staff over from uh, from I think Maui and other places to to actually work there and, and maybe that's where sort of the hawaiian uh well yeah idea ended up you had in. The, you had the infiltration of of, of uh, lilo and stitch as well yeah know, today sure know. so you got some ip properties coming in change and sure moana uh, but moana is more south seas flavor than you know it is hawaiian so uh maybe a little more of, of the roots there i yeah. i it's funny that you mentioned this because i never f- personally felt that it was hawaii i always felt because to me, you know, the masks and everything and having visited uh, New Zealand before and seeing that, that you know, the, the Maori culture and all that in the islands in that area. Um, I always felt it was more South Seas, but I guess I picked up on it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Hey, well, then, you know, it worked. It worked. Perfect. All right. So let's talk about the grand opening celebration, because I think this is this is pretty crazy. And yeah. I mean, JT, you're you're interested in this in particular. So, yes. Um, so the Polynesian Village celebrated its grand opening on October 24th, 1971, as part of the Walt Disney World three day press event. So I'm going to describe the evening to you and see if you can put yourself there. So they started with cocktails around the pool at 6 p.m. And at the end of the hour, 
uh, conch shell was blown. So to gather everybody uh, like in a group over in the sandy beach in front of the Tonga Longhouse. They handed out Mai Tais to the press and to distinguished guest. Ooh. And then they started, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm up for that. Who Was there any distinguished guests that we know? Uh, so I'm sure it was probably, I don't think it was celebrity. Well, yeah, so like Bob Hope would have been there. And the, and the people that were there at the opening for the rest of the celebration. Oh, okay. So like Arthur Fiedler and, you know, Glenn Campbell and all those. those. Glenn Campbell? Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, I love it. Did he come for full speed up on a speedboat? <laughs> he just wandered in. He wandered like, in. Out of the woods. <laughs> maybe maybe Nunes was testing the water slide, too. You never know. Just like he did at Fort Wilderness, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Comes bounding there, down. There were golfers there, too. Well, and we do have a story a little bit later on. Uh, if we can get in this episode, we'll, but we do have a Nunes story about him coming in on a wave. So yeah, stay tuned. That's for true. That. So, uh, so then they had their appetizers. Uh, so they had spring rolls, fried shrimp, rumaki, uh, opihi. I think, which I think is, that's the poo poo platter. How? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, opihi is a Hawaiian shellfish delicacy, which apparently is very expensive now. It, it hmm. maybe not have been as bad back then, but it's it's quite pricey. And, and, of course, everybody's favorite, poi. Mm. Um, for for dinner, guests had a platter of luau, luau pig, chicken with almonds, lychee duck, snow peas and water chestnuts, and barbecue pork fried rice. Mmm. Wow. Uh, so then they had a torch lighting ceremony to kick off the evening's entertainment. And then by outrigger canoe, a king arrived. So I want to see if you guys can think, in 1971, what king might have been part of the presentation so this is an actual an actual king yes king stefan <laughs> an excellent guest jt you're in you're in the ballpark he wasn't from zamunda was he no <laughs> king arthur of the british no good also a good guess so uh, the king was King Leonidas from the movie Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which had... That was my next guess. <laughs> year, <yeah. laughs> so, uh, so he arrived on Outrigger Canoe with the, with the cast of the Koei Polo uh, Pono Polynesian Review. They, they had a full show, like exactly like you would have gotten from the... Uh, uh, had you gone to the Luau later on, that was kind yeah. of like their first one that they did. Uh, including the fire knife dance. And then for dessert, they had a goddess Pele flaming diamond head pineapple. Whoa. Which sounds fancy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's not all. So following all of this, that's not enough, was the the debut of the electrical water pageant, which I know that we've talked about before. Right. Um, on the invitation that was described as an imaginary delight of fanciful creatures and serpents of the deep on parade. <laughs> Whoa. And so, again, that was only supposed to last pretty much that that night. That night, yeah, that was yeah. done just for that thing. That's what uh, chicken wire and uh, and some some <laughs> some fifteen watt some bulbs Christmas can get you. Lights, yeah, <laughs> and uh, here it is. So I'm just curious. We talked to that one guy like years ago who did the whole history on it. Did it look like overly different that night than it does now? Like, whereas was it much smaller light bulbs or simpler or? No, I mean, most of the, a, a few of the things are the same. There there have been a couple of tweaks to some of the designs right. over the years. And, and, I, and I, th I think now they're using more LED technology than they are with the, the old 15-watt Christmas bulbs. Because, I mean, the, the amount of power you need to move those, <laughs> to get those things to light, sure. the batteries yeah, but, and stuff. But no, I mean, it was very much the same thing. Just barges and chicken wire and fencing and 
and some C9 bulbs. So, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think that's the beauty of it. It's so simple and so cool. Um, and then the evening ended with the first Fantasy in the Sky fireworks spectacular. Um, and as we, as we have heard, it's like the fireworks launched off of the islands uh, in the Seven Seas Lagoon at that point. Um, and also off of the barges from the electrical water pageant. And there were also balloons and some like ultralight aircraft and some other crazy stuff in there too. Can you just imagine King Triton with his Triton just like, you know, that thing going out and fireworks coming off the barges and stuff. Octopuses exploding, you know. That would be cool. But even then, Todd, they actually ended with the Stars and Stripes. They did, okay. The American fan. I mean, that. so that was the national transition. All right, I want some some spinning fireworks then, you know. Yeah, yeah. You should. (laughs) Screamers. Yeah. Um, So that was, that ceremony was, the entire ceremony was actually developed by Disney legend Bob Yanni. And you know how he loves End with America. Like every every show had End with America. He's like Sam the Eagle for Disney, you know. Um, and if you want to see um, some of this, you can. It actually showed up on the um, the television special with Glenn Campbell that we talked about in episode thirty on the Primetime yep. Specials, and it's also in our restored copy of the film The Magic of Walt Disney World on the website. So we should put links to that, yeah, out so people can see them. Um, so let's see. All right, so let's talk about how you actually got to the hotel, because I found this really strange and fascinating. Today, we're used to you just kind of like drive up and talk to the guard and try to talk your way in, but at night... 19- <laughs> Nobody does that. Nobody yeah. does that. We all have no, reservations. No. Yeah. In it's, 1970- not, it's not an ideal parking location. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, in 1971, it was, it was totally different. So if you were staying at the resort, you would drive up to those two lanes in the auto plaza... And when you stopped and asked for directions, the attendant would take down your name and a description of your vehicle, and they would radio it ahead to the hotel, so that way they would anticipate your arrival. So when you pulled up in the valet section, they would actually know who you were, like by name, greet you by your name, and then uh, a valet and a... um, like the valet, like the room service, what do you call that? A bellboy. Oh, concierge, yeah. So yeah. like a bellboy and a concierge would actually be assigned to you <clears throat> and would take you through like the rest of the check-in process and take you right up to your room. It's just, this is like magic bands before magic bands. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> what it's, an experience though, you know? Yeah, and apparently they did this for everyone. Uh, wow. Up for the first couple of years until they just realized it was like way too time consuming and, and way too expensive. So yeah. they still do that for concierge level guests at the Grand Floridian. So that $900 a night is worth it if you <laughs> yeah. want the, that that kind of greeting. So. <laughs> it's worth a good 50 bucks, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Today, I guess I'm just happy to get a plastic layer. So that's <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. just fine. Now, there's an interesting thing. Did that change since you just brought that up? Was it always chintzy cheap lays when you walked in, or did they ever, like, you know, up the ante when they first started? That nope. That is actually a great question, because I know for many years they actually had fresh lays flown in on a daily oh, basis wow. for you to no purchase. No way. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, now, I, I know I know you can, when, when we checked in uh, back in September, it was my mother-in-law's uh, 60th birthday, so we, we actually requested... Um, an actual you know flower lay and they they handmade one for her and they made it there there's a woman i guess that uh, one of the women that works there that makes them now uh, upon request so 
kind of a cool little fact. No charge. It was it was really neat for them. To really? Do. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's quite a that is a time consuming process. Yeah. Too, so. It was it was beautiful. It was really that's really cool. Nice. That's awesome. So your initial view of the hotel was very much like it is today. After leaving the valet area and walking up to the lobby, you see a bunch of lush greenery and the small waterfalls on the left and right, and you go over that little bridge uh, over the water. It really transports you, you know, to the South Seas, and I, I think it gives you that sense of escapism right away. Uh, so then, uh, back then, it's like you had to push through these like regular large glass doors because coming there was through. No, yeah, there, <laughs> There was no automatic doors back then. You, you, there was like two doors on each side, not a big one in the middle. So you just had to put your put your put your back into it and get your luggage through somehow. We have a great great piece of film from that too. It's called uh, the Vacation Wonderland at Walt Disney World. We'll put a link in there, um, and it actually shows. You can kind of see the cameraman in the the reflection uh, on the doors busting through as he comes up, uh, and also too that the, uh, the it, it says that the exotic sites will be found at the at the, <laughs> the exotic Polynesian resort. So yeah, it's so true yeah. because once you both bust open those doors, it's like then you got to see. You know, the lobby's dominant and most fondly remembered feature, which is the large two-story waterfall uh, that was right there in the, the center, which is now, you know, sadly, sadly gone, uh, but was quite spectacular in its day. There was uh, a waterfall there? The smell <laughs> is gone, too. <laughs> yes, that smell, man. That's legit right there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I found a copy of national future farmer magazine from 1987 and they interviewed a man named lars pertwee who is from from the uk but he was in charge of taking care of the plants inside there and he he talked about the fact that they had over 75 different plant species on that waterfall at one time uh, including 15 orchid plants and something called a kentia palm uh, which is a slow-growing palm, because I guess if you had one that grew too fast, it would go straight through the roof. Uh, and he said that that thing at the time was an esti- He estimated that it was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars because it was such a rare specimen. Wow. So I hope they didn't just, like, toss that out when it was all <laughs> said and done. Um, now, do, do you guys remember the birds that were perched in there, too? There was... Uh... I believe a, maybe a cockatoo or a, I don't I don't know my birds. There was uh, some sort of parrot and uh, other birds perched. I remember. Yeah, there were at over the course of time through the '80s and then the '90s, there were um, cockatoos and then also macaws. Yes, uh, that's it in there. Which you know, that's another one of those really funny things because those birds are all from South America. They're not from <laughs> yeah. Polynesia at all. So I. Don't know why they ended up in there, but uh, but they were fixtures of that lobby for years, and people loved them. I mean, they were there, you know, at least for a decade or so. Very, you know, fondly remembered part of that. Yeah, Um, put them in there. Nobody knows the difference. Yeah. (laughs) So the plants and the bedding were actually changed out on a monthly basis. So another plant that you'd see everywhere at that time was bamboo. Uh, And Mm. there's there's this apocryphal story that they bought miles and miles of these thick bamboo poles that they imported for use in the lobby. Uh, and you can see it covers the walls and areas. There's uh, low parts of the ce- uh, the lower part of the ceiling, like when you walk in before it opens up. Um, there's these really, and you'll see it in the movie if you go look at the movie. There's these huge sort of like light fixture things that hung above you in sort of like this cross and diamond pattern. Yeah. yeah. Um, giant pieces of bamboo. And by the registration desks, there were these valances made out of bamboo 
uh, to conceal the lighting. Well, the story goes that within just a couple of months of the resort opening, all that bamboo dried out and cracked. (laughs) So it all had to come down and be replaced by artificial bamboo. Um, Now, over the years, um, those, those things have mostly been changed out. But if you go into the lobby and look above the registration desk, you can still see those bamboo valances are still there. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So I have uh, one job to do. One <laughs> job. <laughs> who knew? Who knew incandescent bulbs can dry out bamboo? Mm-hmm. Um, there's another neat feature that was over at the uh, registration desk. It's unfortunately been lost time. Um, but uh, as you're checking in, if the concierge is on your right and you're looking straight to the to the check-in desk, um, there used to be a hidden door. Uh, so the the wall behind was actually paneled and perfectly cut out in the panel lines was a door and it was done so seamlessly when it was closed you didn't know a door was there and they i remember checking in with my grandparents in the 80s with my parents and my grandfather pointed out he's like there's a door there I'm like no there isn't you know somebody walks through and just pushes that panel open and sure enough it just swings open so it was this magic door uh and if you look in the film as well um, real quick, uh, at the it, it closes just about the 58 second mark. Uh, you can't see it line up perfectly, but you do see the see the door there. So that was that was really cool, and uh, just the colors in there too. It, it was really interesting how because the, the ceiling and, and the bamboo was so natural, um, and then the tile. Yeah the <laughs> the tile the tile oh the tile. <laughs> so it's when you see the movie i don't think film could really capture Mm. the color (laughs) that was the tile at that time um and you know all of us have probably seen different photos of it uh and depending on the lighting conditions it it looks quite different but like it was this really incredibly vibrant green and blue um all throughout the upper and lower floors, almost like a light lime green, and 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 a, and a coral coral blue, right? Yeah, and they, but they were bright. They were yeah. It it, it, it seems it, strange because it was so out of character with everything else. Like you mm. said, everything else is like browns and tans and right. Um, so I I did some searching around to try to figure out why those colors and where that might have come from. I only have one guess. All right, you do your guess and we'll All see. All right, so just looking at this, because don't forget, we have the lush green foliage and uh, the, the giant planter in the center is, is, has a ring of, of you know, bright coral-colored tile as well. And my only thought is that you've, you've got the brown above, you've got the greenery, and, that is, and, and the blues and the greens are supposed to represent the water. Yeah, That's, I was going to say the same thing. That's... That was my only thought. I am sure you are right because <laughs> um, so the bottom floor of the Great Sacramento House is called the sea level, uh-huh. and um, I was going through some catalogs of like Libby glasses from the 1970s, and yeah. in 1971, Libby Glass came out with an eight-piece tumbler set called Deep Sea, and it had the exact same two colors like Ooh. on the clear glass. So it must have been a design trend from that time if you're trying to communicate the sea and there's only a handful of pictures as well that are showing this uh showing the floor um there's there's a there's one that's been oh tweeted and, and copied and scanned countless times which i believe this person it's taken upstairs just outside the coral isle cafe um but i i've tweeted out too how you know i go to the office now and then and one of the tenants in the building there 
has a floor and uh, you know, I'll send you guys the picture here. I think you've seen it before, but I this is the only floor I've ever seen that can possibly come close to matching. And I walk past that that you know employee rest area, the little kitchen, and boy, that takes me back. Just looking at it's, that. it's, it's making so, a comeback. It's so close. If I mean, and it's even on the angle. <laughs> yeah. The other thing we have to describe is like it's a checkerboard pattern, yes. which is another thing which seems so sort of out of whack with this very naturalistic but yeah i think that's it i think they're trying to communicate the concept of the sea yeah switch you know for what it's worth i guess maybe that worked out i don't know hey you know <laughs> if they did something boring we wouldn't be talking about it today so exactly it's it certainly made you stop and look at it yep um, nobody's going to be talking about the all-star in 30 years like this so <laughs> can you believe they just put one color of... <laughs> yeah who even know i don't even know what it looks like now you know even some lockers <laughs> somewhere or something. exactly <laughs> That's theming for uh, you. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so let's see. What else was in the lobby? So today, when you walk in, you know you've got boutique on your uh, left hand side. You've got the um, the, the counters uh, for the registration counter on your right. Um, but back then, things were a little different. Um, there are some some great pictures that we've seen where they have sort of just these large area rugs off in certain places with this uh, sort of tropical um, rattan furniture hanging out in it and then years later you'll see a lot of pictures of these sort of like blue adams family style chairs like hanging out with tables uh so you could kind of sit in in certain areas um but that was about it for seating in the lobby it's not like today where there's you know tons of seats hanging around um one thing that i thought was really interesting so that hidden door that you saw todd yeah behind the uh behind the registration desk there that's not where like the the uh the resort ends there's actually quite a large space back there so there's oh. like the mail room the the original phone room was back there with like a cashier and the accountant and the general manager all their offices are back in that area and so when you when you sent in your paper you know, a room reservation. That's where it went. That's the that's yeah. where the magic happened. And that that ran all the way up to the like where the elevator lobby is. And in fact, some like the food and beverage manager, their office was like behind the elevators. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> very 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 interesting. Um, it, and that had one of the uh, the weird little things there is like once you you pass the registration desk there was always that like wall with the big glass uh, with the mirror yeah that would kind of like you know great spot for selfies in 1970 and you know i guess the 2000s too until that recently changed um but uh downstairs uh to the left where boutique is now that had uh, originally just banquet rooms um they were kind of subdivided and in, into little chunks. Um, so they had names like the Oceana Room and the Micronesian Room and the Polynesian Room. Later on, uh, these meeting rooms were kind of formalized into a into another smaller restaurant called the South Seas Room. There is, in fact, like a whole kitchen back behind where Boutique is today oh. uh, and the employees' cafeteria. So when uh, when they have to take down... Uh, one of the restaurants, like when they re- recently revamped Captain Cook's, they actually opened up the employee cafeteria there for everybody. And uh, you can actually see the entrance to the employee cafeteria if you go to walk towards the staircase to go upstairs. You just go like straight down. Yeah. yeah, just go straight. It's it's right there. <laughs> I, um, I made a point of going to 
eat in that cafeteria when it was open. Just oh, to, fantastic. Just to get the experience. Cool. <laughs> and I guess back there is like their locker rooms and where they get their yeah. uh, uniforms and stuff like that. So I thought it's, it's always neat to kind of know that there's this other infrastructure going on behind what you see, which is backstage which is magic. How that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, the um, now one of the, I think one of the cool things about that South seas room was that they reused a lot of Raleigh Crump's tiki's back in little displays there, and some of the like hanging tiki babies from the Enchanted Tiki Room in Disneyland and and in Walt Disney World. So uh, when they ended up redoing that, probably in the early '70s to sort of formalize the South Seas Room, they had those little tiki babies hanging from uh, these like sort of like A-frame entrance areas, um, which is really neat. And then. Uh, where you walk into Boutique today, there were actually bathrooms there, <laughs> which they've completely blown away. And and then um, in the corner where the um, where the DVC person stands, like hand out information about DVC stuff, there was actually a little sh- store there called News from Civilization. And yes. I think, Todd, we have a picture of that. We have a fantastic picture of News from Civilization. Now, I, take a, I sent it out to you guys now. First of all, there's some great things in this picture. One, the cord that's draped right across the traffic pattern. Where I, think, I don't know what people are doing there. Maybe they're vacuuming, but I think that's great. The, the stamp machine on the left, do you see that? All of the glassware at easy reach for all children to test and pick up. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Uh, and I love how the, the plush are kind of behind the counter, too. Like, the, the toys and things are not out in the open. Um, you know, they've got the newspaper there. Uh, I remember my grandfather going up there and, 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 uh, buying the newspaper, uh, which, which was great. But yeah, I, I remember that place. Now how downstairs too, there, I remember going there with my grandparents and as you go down the hallway, uh, as if you're, you're heading to, to, to pass the bathrooms and into Trader Sands and stuff downstairs on the left hand side the right hand side, somewhere there used to be a little office you could go in and do ticket exchanges and, and and get your tickets where where was that so later on some point uh i think in the 80s they mm-hmm. actually took news from civilization and moved it across the hallway into an old telephone equipment room okay and um and that's corner they kind of blew out the wall uh, in that corner where news from civilization was and they put a little stand there where you could go and like you said make yeah buy um, tickets to, i remember going there with yeah. some extra tickets and mm-hmm. turning them in with my grandparents to you know so he could buy you know save a day or something like that yep so that's just held on to them all these years it would be nice. and i think at, at one point there were photos of the luau up against the wall there yeah. and yeah. um and i think you'd make your luau reservations there as well right it was like an info desk as well as yep. it was almost mm-hmm. like a mini guest relations for all things park related you could get park out it was really cool yeah so the, I remember there's like a little low, uh, they end up, when they took out the wall, they end up putting this sort of this low planter that mm-hmm. had bamboo sides uh, with some bromelades and stuff in yeah, right yeah. there. Yeah, it's pretty groovy. Um, yeah, so that's that's at that point. And then, um, so directly across from that, like I said, was a, at first was nothing. It was a telephone equipment room, but it did have my favorite mailbox uh, on all of Walt Disney World property, which is this brown mailbox that hangs on the wall, and it's still there today. They, is it? they had oh. a, they moved it over. It's right now. It's next to the doors that go out to the back, um, and it's got the the Polynesian Maui character on it. Um, but it's the same. We have movies 
of that mailbox <laughs> in roughly the same space and it is doesn't have the big scratch on it because it was brand new but yeah uh, but it was there That's which is cool. which is pretty great uh on the opposite side of the lobby uh it was the elevators exactly like they are today yep um there was different artwork there uh at one time there was a huge um piece of tappa cloth there which is now moved i believe upstairs um no i think it's downstairs um in that um hallway that kind of leads out to trader sam's um but some of the few pieces of um of polynesian art were in those areas there was a huge carving at one point too which i don't know where it went to i remember that um something i find interesting about the design of both the great ceremonial house and the floridian took on the same design is the stairs to get up it was in the back corner from the monorail and it's really interesting i'm i'm wondering what the concept of the, the traffic pattern flow is it to entice you to walk past the shops which obviously on the floridian and here you goes past uh, uh the sundry shop on both places um but you know the contemporaries will the contemporary as we've always discussed just i can never figure out where the hell i am in that resort but um <laughs> but these i always found it interesting and, and yet a little annoying <laughs> that <laughs> i you know is it is it uh i don't know is it get you closer to your room does it mean you know i, I don't know it's just it's interesting <laughs> Well, for one, it's next to the staircase. It's next to the elevator. So in case of a fire, it's easy to find True. the stairs in order to get out of there. It's also kind of because it's off in that corner. There's also that exit that sort of leads out yep. to the other room. So potentially when you come in through that door, that was an opportunity to go up the stairs there. Um, I think they like to put stairs in the corner for some reason. They do. They I, do even over at the floor. And there's another set of stairs in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> underneath I, Misner's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess really from a layout perspective, it's just kind of tucked out of the way and, mm. you know, not prominent. So, exactly. so maybe that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, so uh, good. I was going to say, let's go upstairs, but I didn't know if that's where you're headed. Yeah, we can go upstairs. All right. That's fine. Uh, Cause I love that whole section with like, all the bamboo and those oh. three three giant tiki's up yeah. there. So going upstairs and and I I remember so many times walking past the sundry shop and, and looking in there. My grandmother going in to pick something up that she needed and forgot. Uh, and then we'll talk about the Coral Isle Cafe in a minute. But um, I, yeah, I want to talk about Village Drugs and Sundries, uh, which was the original name. I got it's gone through so many so many iterations and names. I think over the years. Um, but I, again, I sent you a picture of this one, guys. Take a look. Again, glassware. Um, I love the random bucket that looks to be catching a leak on the left-hand side there in the foreground. <laughs> you see that? <laughs> um, and then look at the... the must have been cooler, or you know, the women have some uh, kind of rain jacket type thing. I don't know. That's kind of a leather jacket for the 70s, I guess, maybe. But uh, she's checking out the slides. Look at the slide display. You know, the t- yeah, the pad- pad- I was looking slides. at this picture the other day. Isn't that isn't that great? And all the amber glassware. I mean, it just you just want to go shop there. I could find so much. <laughs> um, and it seems to be maps and things off on the left. There's wine in the back. Um, kind of dark. A very, you know, even with some of these flash going off, very very dim. So the flip side, you know. To, uh, the other side was the was uh, Coral Isle Cafe, and and uh, it was the first place I ever had grits. Uh, did yep, you know there I, is nothing more Polynesian than grits. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> go out there South Seas, you got some grits. Um, but I really, re- I really enjoyed that place. Uh, you know, I, st- I still enjoy it today. It's Kona Cafe. It was it was a neat area. Uh, and Brian, you you're you're 
was it your father took a picture of Coral Cafe, or, or you have a shot from the inside, right? It's the only time in my life I ever paid for an individual slide. <laughs> uh, was that I? This, there was one that went up for auction years ago that was the inside of Coral Isle Cafe looking out, which was so rare because people didn't take photos inside restaurants back then and certainly never took pictures of their food. But this is like a photograph of like these people were sitting at their table and they took a photograph looking out into into the lobby of the Polynesian. So from the second floor, which is just it's an angle none of us really see. So, yeah, I have. And there more of that bamboo was was very prominent in there. Oh, yes. And the light fixtures in there are great. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. So that was a traditional coffee shop like when it opened up that right. was you know it even yeah. had like a little if you went when you went to pay you had to like walk up to a little counter and pay with the cash <laughs> yeah. register on the way out in order to pay that's awesome yeah so uh yeah we missed that actually one of the things that i was reading in uh, i think david coeg's reality land book is both at the polynesian and the contemporary you know these were thought to be very high-end hotels so there was you know a, a lot of thought put together about you know how much seating you needed mm. for like the fancy restaurants and then of course you, you wanted to have the coffee shops and stuff just to right you know to supplement it but what they found kind of early on was that an awful lot of people were basically staying at travel lodges and like little mom and pop hotels and then they would like blow their wad to stay at the polynesian <laughs> Uh, even though it was only $28, that was still, you know, a, yeah. a fairly significant amount. Uh, and so they didn't use the fancier restaurants. It's like there was always a line for the coffee shops in the little places and, and not so much for the, the larger dining facilities. That's interesting. So they, they had to kind of like scramble and, and redo the, the way that those things were configured to, to handle the clientele that ended up coming. And speaking of the fancier dining opportunities, just around the corner... From, oh yes, from the, the Coral Cafe was the yeah the Papite Bay Veranda. Papite Bay Veranda, which was one of my favorite favorite restaurants. I I have fond memories of being in there, uh, eating thunderstorm outside, pouring rain coming down the glass windows. You looked out, you could kind of see the castle. Uh, it was just a warm, inviting place, and uh, I I really like it. I I don't know, Ohana's is just not my thing. I, I don't need to spend sixty five dollars on four hundred skewers of meat every day. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you can never eat that much food. There's screaming kids. It's just <laughs> I have nothing against screaming kids. I have one of my own. But yeah, uh, people trying to eat dinner at 930 and drag kids in there. It's just it's just ludicrous. You but, know? You, but but Stitch will come to visit you during your breakfast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I could probably give breakfast. I could probably handle breakfast. But yeah, breakfast, breakfast is nice. I like but yeah, if you want to eat at Ohana's, you have to go at four, four o'clock now. <laughs> you need the early seating. But uh, how do you, did, you remember, I mean, it was a, it was a great, great restaurant. I, I, I mean, really, it was, I really liked it. It was very, visually, it was very different because it was yeah. trying to be French Polynesian. So right. it was more colonial. You know, there was a lot of like white and what I would more not think of looking very Polynesian at all. It was more... A French colonial style and and the menus and things. I just went there like uh, six months ago. But that changed Um, in the see when I went, it was the later you know mid eighties, and I think it it had gone more towards Polynesian and more of a American. I don't want to say bistro; that's probably not the right term. But uh, there was a little more steakhouse. I remember getting a fillet there and fishes and things like that. So it did it did 
kind of catered to that as as time. Gotcha. I can tell you, I absolutely remember in the eighties, uh, my parents would go to, uh, to there, uh, like maybe once or twice every couple of months, uh, to have the Sunday brunch, mm-hmm. which was the most incredible. I, I was not old enough to appreciate it because I just wanted to eat a bowl of Fruit Loops and maybe some oranges or something. Let's but get to the park. Yeah, it was it was quite the spread, and uh, I think we found a I think we found an ad for it or something. It was like five dollars and fifty cents or six dollars. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this, nice. Like, <laughs> incredible. It was. Awesome. I mean, they had they had seafood and lobster and like all kinds of. And, and what was that like? Some sort of fruit cocktail that everybody raved yeah, about. Yeah, so I know oh, I talked yeah. about this on I think on the food episode, but uh, they they said the the fruit cocktail there was like ice cold and the best they ever had. This was a discussion of cast members from back then. Um, they really loved it, and they had prime rib at the dinner buffet, and I guess the brunch one too. And everybody was everybody's big fans of the Polynesian back then. Yeah. So one thing that was a little different was the location of the Tambu Lounge because it was still there. That's that's been a fixture. But if you kind of think about the way Ohana is laid out today, you know, you walk in and the the lounge is right there. Like, well, that area actually did not exist. They added they actually blew out space uh, upstairs and downstairs, I think sometime in the 1990s. To create the the area of the Tambu Lounge where it is today, um, because originally it was actually way back in the back right hand corner. Ah, um, uh, yeah. So if if you think about where the uh, sort of like the fire pit is, mm-hmm. that ends, and then there's like a weird little hallway because there's actually a set of stairs that goes downstairs. Mm-hmm. So on the other side of that wall, the bar was actually set up there, and kind of angled out to to go on the diagonal so um they had that area and then you could kind of like step down over a railing and there was seating against like the glass window so kind of the way that we saw the pictures upstairs of the top of the world where there was sort of tiered seating yeah, that overlooked yeah. the windows it was kind of set up that same way oh, cool now um, everybody just piles outside it's a disaster Oh, it is. Oh. So there, so there was a. Now they're queuing up on the. Did you see the latest? Sorry to go off on the rail. No, the fine. The latest queue area. I was in there in September. They start queuing people up in front of where the the opposite of the Kona Cafe, in front of like where the sundry shop is. That's where people are supposed to queue up and check in. It goes oh the whole goodness. length now. I'm yeah. Like, are you kidding me? It's not that great. But Bobby said they had to do it, so the only reservation they could get was nine forty-five. The kids are tired, but damned if I we're gonna spend our six hundred dollars and eat. So let's see. According to this and map, rant. I have, yeah. <laughs> so according to this map, I had you could fit back then. You could get three hundred and six people into the restaurant. Oh, and and you could get uh, ninety-six into the Tambu Lounge, which is uh, ironically more than Trader Sam's today, and. Uh, the foyer only held 19 people. <laughs> so um, today where you you kind of walk, where you do finally check in, that was originally where the waiting, the foyer was. And then you kind of walk down that, uh, that space where the tiki's are kind of set up. And then there's like that strange counter out in front of you. Um, that used to be a, a private dining alcove. So they had sort of doors that would separate that off. So they kind of blew out that area 
to make it where you walked in to try to... I, th- I think what they really did when they changed it over to Ohana was just try to reclaim as much space as they could. Yeah, yeah. To get, you know, some more people in there. So uh, so that's really what it was about. So if you think the, d- the dining room was originally held 300 people, if they add that 96 from the Tambu, they probably blew that out to over 400. So now, you know, where do you put 400 people <laughs> exactly yeah. waiting to sit down and, and the answer is not not really anywhere right <laughs> um but yeah they've there's been a couple of changes you know the bathrooms have have changed around a little bit the men's room is still exactly where the men's room was mm-hmm. i think they actually um so they added the companion restroom and i think they actually blew out the ladies room into like a dish storage area <laughs> and a dishwashing area to try to Give it some more uh, some more space. But it's interesting looking at some of these diagrams of like, again, the whole, you know, backstage, the way that whole thing was configured. Um, it's like you never you know, you don't know that there's like giant coolers back there. And, and of course, the cooking was all done, you know, behind the scenes at that point before they started doing these skewers out in front. So it's it's really fascinating just how much junk is back there. That's <laughs> a put it mildly. Yeah. Yeah. So let's oh, go. And, oh. I was going to say, the one thing that we did not mention upstairs was Trader Jack's Grog Hut. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, is the, uh, which was the, uh, the liquor, where you go buy your liquor. And you, you, you mentioned in the, in, the, uh, in the photo that you could see sort of like the wine. Right, it was connected. The, the two stores were connected. Uh, right. Yep, yep. Even and though... so that was, that was named after Jack Olson, who was like the buying guy that was in charge of all the stores. So that's, that's who Trader Jack was. Ah. And then... Yeah, you might remember in later years, there was kind of like a little hut thing in the middle, sort of between the the grog store and the village sundries that they added. I think that was kind of through the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I, I do vaguely remember that there. Yep, yep. Yeah, so... Okay, well, we can go uh, We can go back downstairs. Yeah, let's, 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 we'll, we'll go, go back down the little stairs. Yeah, so we'll go down the side, the side stairs there, down to the Outrigger Assembly House, which was what that outer building was called. Um, so once you, once you got in there, that's where you would find all the stores. So like the, the Polynesian princess, which was the women's shop, um, that would be basically where the bathrooms are today. When you, when you go to walk into, uh, Captain Cook's, Mm -hmm. um, that's where those restrooms are. They were reclaimed from that area. There used to be basically like a single men's stall and a single lady's stall in that area. And they blew that out to be a much needed uh much larger restroom where um, was the men's shop was that next door I so that was so that was straight ahead so okay. so when you walk down that hallway now you kind of take a right to go into captain cook's in order to get your stuff and then there was a seating area mm-hmm. to the left where like the posters are now for like the different islands yes mm-hmm. that was where the men's shop was that was the men's shop uh, okay that was the men's shop so the cooking area is now the men's shop so the cooking area so the kitchen is actually still where it always was oh so okay. what's so here's where things get weird so i'm gonna captain, need blueprints how i need yeah. i need a flip book <laughs> of changes so captain cooks the the kitchen is still exactly where it was before they just kind of changed the way that you get you got in there and originally captain cooks wasn't a restaurant well, on one side, it wasn't a restaurant. It, that was actually the bar. Right. And um, and we've heard all kinds of stories from people about how that was the place to be if you were a cast member. Um, that's where, um, 
Saltwater Express played. They were a duo, uh, famous... like a guitar duo, right? Yeah. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, very small. Um, but there was a bar there, and that bar backed up to against the kitchen. And on the opposite side of that was the Barefoot Snack Bar, mm-hmm. which you would enter from the outside. Right. So when you were outside the building, kind of sort of in the area where the Pineapple Lanai is now, you could walk into the snack bar and pick up food from, from that location. And then that all got reconfigured over time into sort of the much larger, you know, Captain Cooks that we that we have today. Gotcha. Um, yep. And then uh, if you walk down the hallway to where Trader Sam was, that used to be a nursery. So before <laughs> the Neverland Club, um, that was the Mouseketeer Village Clubhouse. And they had, you know, music and crafts and a little theater with a little stage. Um, later on, that became uh, the arcade, Moana Mickey's. Um, I, I don't know where the where the changeover to that was because I know the arcade at one point was over in the Tangaroa Terrace. Right. Um, yeah, that was, it was over there for a while through the eighties, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. But then, uh, but then when it came back, um, they put it in that space, um, and uh, sort of down at the end there was a uh, where you would rent your cat, where you go out to uh, rent the catamarans. It was called the Catamaran Corner. There we go. So the so the boat boat rental was there, and then uh, sort of on the outside of the building is where they would store like the sails and the oars and the paddles and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, today, Trader Sam's has pretty much taken over most of that space. Uh, and of course the porch is, is blown out so you can enjoy the, uh, the outdoors now. That's right. That's right. That whole hall, hall down there is weird though. It's just old wall. <laughs> yeah. It's a little odd. <laughs> it's a little odd. Yeah. I mean, so one of the big differences back then, um, there was a lot more glass both, yeah. you know, to the outside and then also the inside. So, um, I know we will have films that, that people could look at where you kind of walk through some of those areas. I've, I found some videos online that do a real nice walkthrough. Um, it was not particularly super attractive, <laughs> like, <laughs> but like it was certainly functional and uh, a lot brighter than it was now. But I mean, I, I understand why they closed off a lot of that for Trader Sam's because with all the effects and things, you know, they needed to make it more of a, an indoors in the dark experience than, right. a, than a bright experience. So yep. certainly, certainly makes sense. Exactly. Uh, did we talk about South Seas room? We did, right? We did, yeah. Yeah, okay, you got that, okay. All right. That's oh, and then uh, one little thing that we stumbled upon, which I had to do some some certain, some digging to try to find, is Brian found a picture of a barber shop uh, and a hair salon at the Polynesian, which I could not find on any of the diagrams. Um, Brian, tell us tell us about the photo because it is a really funny one. So it was shared by ex cast members uh, of the time, and then there was an ongoing discussion about the two barbers and which one each preferred to get their hair cut. And uh, I want to say we figured out the haircuts were four dollars or something like that, and <laughs> the guys all used to, yeah, they used to. Well, back then it was. But uh, and then eventually they closed the the barber shop and the salon in the Polynesian and the barber, the one barber 
was working at the uh, at the beauty salon slash barber shop in the Contemporary before they eventually closed that one. Uh, sometime in the nineties, I want to say they closed that one. So, uh, but it was a standard resort thing back then that there'd be a barber shop and a beauty salon, as, in addition to a lot of these other services that we've we've talked about. Yeah, it's funny that I actually went what a looking. Steal. I assumed that there was one everywhere. <laughs> so I've gone looking for them before. Inflation. And I was like, oh, they're all the Grand Floridian now. <laughs> okay, never mind. Um, yeah, so um, so it didn't appear. I couldn't find it in any diagrams or any maps. So I actually just went out one day and started looking around to try to figure out where it might have been. And we found, I think, a copy of Eyes and Ears where it talked about how they had done an expansion and opened up a barber shop. So um, I knew the expansion was done to the back of the house. And uh, wandering around, I discovered where the barber shop was. And then later on last week, I actually found some video that showed it. So if you walk out of those doors past Trader Sam's now, mm-hmm. there's kind of a building that connects... Uh, I guess it would probably be trying to think what the it's not Bora Bora. It's there's another building that's like a straight shot out from the side of the great ceremonial house. Yeah, I'm forgetting the name of it, but yeah, I know exactly where you're talking. But there's this weird little just single story uh, building there with with some glass walls and some doors. And it's it's just some random offices now. But that's where the barber shop used to be. So you would—it's right directly facing the marina. So if you if you're at the back of the marina and you see these these glass doors, it's like that's where the barber shop used to be. Maybe poke your head and see if someone's got a chair for you. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe how this is a good time to talk about the you know we've talked about valet services and different things, but there were you know this really shows that these resorts were catering to be full service. Um, you know, that, that obviously the barbershop and, and the clothing and the food and the coffee and the sundries and the liquor sales. Um, you know, one, one we had a, a listener write in that wanted to know a little bit about the um, the church services offered as well, because that was something that, that, that was part of, uh, you know, part of this resort for, for quite a number of years before some congregation changes in the area and whatnot. So... Yeah, I know you've got a little more information because I actually I, I attended a mass once. Uh, Did with, you with with my grandmother? Yes, yeah, so we. Attended. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I I always wanted to go and I never got around to it. So yeah. I'm glad I'm glad that you did. So yeah, we haven't had a chance to talk about the the luau yet and the evolution of that. But yeah, once once the luau space was built, uh, I think in 1973, um, there were church services that were put on uh, at the Polynesian. Yeah. Um, there were at least two Catholic ceremonies and one non-denominational Protestant ceremony uh, every Sunday. Um, and actually this ties into like a, a whole thing in Orlando that everyone has probably driven past a million times on I-4, the Mary Queen of the Universe Church. Yes. Um, it all started uh, with a Catholic priest named Father F. Joseph Hart. So he was assigned the tourist side of Orlando in 1974 uh, when the Catholic Church saw a need to sort of service the burgeoning tourist trade. Now, the actual Orlando City Diocese didn't get started until 1969. So I, I always I have to remind people Orlando was a real cow town mm. until Disney showed up. So, I mean, there, it literally did not have its own sort of, you know, 
organizational body for the Catholic Church until 1969. Um, so he started in a, his parish to service tourists on Hotel Plaza Boulevard. Um, and then as time went on, um, he ended up uh, getting a deal with Disney in 1975 to start um, start doing services at the Polynesian as well. Um, and then we have to assume that the Polynesian probably reached out to a Protestant minister. So that way, you know, both sides would be served. Um, so it wasn't just Catholic. Um, but it was kind of a really neat arrangement because... I mean, I can't think of a more beautiful place to have a, a service. Yeah. And Todd, you, you said you went at least once? At least once. I remember, yeah, I went with my grandmother. We walked over in the morning. And uh, I remember her, you know, checking the schedule when we arrived and, and ensuring that she would go to service. And, uh, you know, she had her rosaries and, <laughs> with yeah, her and everything. That's great. So, yeah, it was um, awesome. They did collections, and the collections went to whatever the church was that um, – that was doing the service disney not did not get any money and they did not charge any money for the use of the facilities it was purely done as a as a goodwill thing mm-hmm. um so this this father frank started collecting money um they bought a piece of property in kind of an out of the way place next to i4 uh, in 1979 and that property sat for decades as they raised money and eventually uh that became the Mary Queen of the Universe Church, uh, which is now by the Orlando Premium Outlets malls that you that we drive by over and over <laughs> again, um, and that went on for for years and years. We uh, we have a card from uh, 1982. So Protestants 9 a.m. on Sundays at Low Cove, Roman Catholics 8 and 10:15 a.m., and then also on Saturday uh, at 6 p.m. Um, because I guess you do, some people prefer the, the Saturday night ones as well. Uh, and then they also did them at the Hotel Royal Plaza at 8 a.m. on Sunday, which is just inter- so interesting. Um, this went on for years. Um, finally, when they actually built the Mary Queen of the Universe Church, uh, that gentleman moved all the services over there and discontinued doing them at the Polynesian. Um, they got some volunteers, uh, some, some volunteers uh, from the Catholic faith, kept going and doing the services there, uh, but they were really trying to get people to go over um, to the other one. Uh, they ended up going from two services down to one service, which actually ended up sort of like overwhelming the single service. And then uh, by the 90s, I'm sorry, late 90s, early 2000s, it's like the Protestant services were kind of dwindling. Um, but really what happened was at that time, we you know people were moving to the Orlando area and really housing developments and just housing in general kind of ended up springing up all along, all along, you know, that side of town. So the cast members, you know, they had, they had regular churches they could go to. Um, Disney ended up setting up mirrors buses to take people to the Mary queen of the universe. So they, those services ran from 1975 and then finally ended in 2002. So but that's a, that's a pretty impressive run actually. When you think, yeah, it's a cool, cool way to spend a Sunday. Yep. Uh, well, since we're talking about the Luau, I guess we may as well talk about the Luau. That's right. We're talking about the Luau Cove. So let's let's talk about what was there not on Sunday. Um, so this is this is really neat. Um, so I found an article in the Disney News from I think 1973 that talks about the background of the Luau performers. Um, so uh, you'll see. Th- this sort of like this name over, I saw this name over and over again in like publicity things, the 
Kaui Pono Polynesian Review. Uh, it was actually a husband and wife team. So the wife was, Ka I'm going to make sure to try to say this correctly. The Ka Kauihe Alani and her husband Pono, they were both originally from the island of Hawaii. Um, they heard that Disney was looking to put together a troupe to perform at Walt Disney World year-round. And also the Tahitian Terrace at Disneyland during the summertime and the Christmas holidays. So they actually got a group of people together, um, mostly students from the uh, Mormon College Church. I'm sorry, the Mormon Church College on Oahu. So if you've ever been there and gone to the Polynesian Cultural Center, um, that is staffed by... Um, people of the Mormon faith that are actually brought over from all the islands of Polynesia, uh, which is fascinating. It's, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of college age kids, literally a lot of them, it's, it's their first time off of the islands that they grew up on. Um, so they come over to the Island of Hawaii. Uh, they, you know, they go to college and the, to defray part of their college costs. It's like they go work, uh, at this tourist attraction, which is actually fantastic. I, I love it. We got to go a couple of years ago and I, I highly recommend it. Um, but they recruited uh, a lot of the people from there um, because they, when they go to that school and they perform uh, at that, uh, at that attraction, they actually have an opportunity to learn about the cultures and traditions of the other islands. So it works out great because the Luau show ends up being sort of a, uh, a combination of, of the dances uh, from from many of the different islands. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and they said the troupe actually uh, have more than 100 dances in their repertoire when they uh, when they started dancing there. Um, for the first two years, it was held three times a night in the Pepite Bay Veranda restaurant. And then when weather was permitting outside on the beach. So um, we've seen pictures. I think we've, I've got a nice picture and I think we've seen some other ones that'll share of the setup outside. It was quite crude. It was really just a, a bunch of folding tables and chairs like set up on the beach uh, right out in front of, in front of the hotel. Um, according to the, the book Reality Land by David Cohing, uh, that arrangement became kind of unwieldy due to a Florida's unpredictable uh, rainstorms. <laughs> so you can imagine everybody's getting set up and then all of a sudden a rainstorm comes through and everyone's got to flee. Um, they would kind of, I guess, uh, move into the second floor of the great ceremonial house upstairs and try to set up something for everybody, but that became kind of a pain. Uh, plus, uh, they discovered um, if they were doing the shows inside, uh, the people that were there on uh for conventions were just kind of booking the restaurant instead of a booking a separate luau so uh in 73 they ended up building that separate facility outside so they could run the luau's year round uh they eventually installed heaters and put out a full kitchen out there so that kind of kept the luau going and it has been going strong that's i don't know if it's the same troop anymore that works on it but it, it's been going yeah it's 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 impressive how long it's been going. I went in 1981. I have some photos. I remember my parents not enjoying the food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, sounds like you. <laughs> and um, no, no, no. That's it's, the. Uh, I also went in 1986 or 80. I think it was 89. 
And that's when they were started doing the two luau's. They did they did more of one that was adult themed, and the earlier one was more character themed. And I remember at that one we went to the character themed one. Um, is that still happening too? I think they just run a show now called The Spirit of Aloha. Yeah, so it's, just, they do. Yeah. it's just one. Okay, yep. all right. So they've gone back to the single. I know that they have two seatings. I think there's usually like a five and eight or something like that. Um, but yeah, you can you can hear those drums. I we had a room at the Floridian uh, in the DVC tower. And uh, I remember we were back there the first night we checked in and we <laughs> going in the background. <laughs> well, you could hear it. And we've walked past a number of times. So, uh, But yeah, it is, like you said, how it's, it's going strong. And um, I think I, 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 there's a photo of me. I'll have to find it and tweet it out. Uh, standing in 1981 after receiving my shell lay that they would hand out and they they handed the shell lays out for a long time after that i don't i don't know what what is given out now i think it's just the the plastic flowers i believe yeah i've seen this sort of like the silky flower ones i think uh yeah the yeah i haven't seen one of the shell ones gone 10 years or so at at least yeah oh here's here's the photos guys don't laugh because the the hair is uh and uh oh boy look at you look like a boy scout yeah and then here's here's the family. Uh, actually, that's not my grandfather in the picture. I think my grandfather was taking the photo. But uh, there we are. And more amber glasses. Wow. Look at you. Or that might just be beer. Who knows? <laughs> and, and look at that. More bamboo, how? More bamboo. Bamboo everywhere. Can't get enough bamboo for my dollar. That's right. It's, everything seems so brown. That was the 70s, well, my friend. Yeah, that was, that was the 70s. It's like, do you guys have brown filtered lenses it was more, on all your cameras? It was more of a taupe. <laughs> I mean, look at, the, pic- I've never look at been... the picture of me. I'm dressed in brown. I mean, <laughs> Browns. I've never been to this show. Is it like worth it? Is it a is it a go must see nowadays, or is it? You know, now that I think about it, I saw it a third time in ninety eight. Uh, it, it depends. I mean, if if it's your style, I mean, um, the the flame, the, the the juggler, or the flamethrower, Twizzler, or whatever you want. To. The twirler. fire knife, twirler. Dance. Yeah, the fire. <laughs> Um, there's the machete guy with the knife with the two knives. Oh, that, that are, sounds cool. That are two hook, are hooked together, and he spins those around. Uh, there's what I affectionately call the yo-yo dance, which is the, you know, the, the, <laughs> the poi balls. Yes. Is the poi balls? Okay. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. how knows all the technical terms. I'm just, um, you know, it's. I mean, is it like a little bit of show you eat, they do some show while you eat. And then you it's all after up, eat. It? You eat first and then the show's oh. going on while you, I think while you're wrapping up dinner and getting dessert generally. So, okay. But, All um, right, because so we just we go hoopty doo, and I've never ventured to that. Yeah, one. now look at this. How here's a, here's a photo from 1981 as well. Um, what about this? There's puppets on stage. Now take a look at that. Do you remember? Is there, do you have any recollection of that? Huh. Interesting. Nope. Nope. I I have never actually I Ew, I have never actually me. seen. Look at that. So you haven't seen. You've it. never been as many luau's as I have gone to to my in my life. I have never been to that luau. Yeah, I've never been. Is to there a either. reason? Oh, we should we should do it next trip. Here's one from '86 with some of the characters. You had uh, I forget his name, uh, but uh, yeah, King Louie coming up here in the next photo was was in it, and Goofy came out and did hula lessons. I think with with the kids. Look at that. And they invite people. They invite people up on stage too. Huh. Wow, those are nice yeah. headdresses. Yeah. They did a good job with the costuming there. What's interesting is uh, I, I'd be curious just for fun. I we've since we've done hoopty do a lot. Like the the changes over the years in this. I'm sure there's some website devoted to it out there of like the show changes and the. But that stuff's always did they get more PC through the 90s and. Yeah, I mean you. So as the veteran of many a luau show, 
you know, you, you tend to see a lot of the same style dances all the time. Like, like Todd said, it's like, you know, so, someone will do a fire knife dance. It's like you do the, that swinging ball dance from, uh, from New Zealand. Um, there's a variety of ones that you, you typically, like if you go down to the Mike High in Fort Lauderdale, you see kind of the same kind of show. I think where they vary it over the course of time is, is kind of in the story that's supposed to tie the dancing together. Um, cause the traditional method is like, you know, someone would, would get up and stand and then just sort of talk about, you know, from the Island of Tahiti is this. And then the person comes out. And I think now there's kind of like this elaborate storyline of a grandmother and I don't, since I haven't seen it, I can't speak to it with any authority. But uh, I think they're trying to wrap more of a of a story into it these days. As as long yeah, as yeah. Stitch doesn't come in and crash the party, that's that's all I ask. Does he? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been there in I a would while. Assume he would. I think '98 was the last time I went. So, well, they used to like hoop de do. There, we have uh, pictures of my dad like getting them called up on stage, and they were like hitting him over the head with a rubber hammer. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. Like. <laughs> Well, I guess what we will have to do is figure out what the next time is that all of us will be together, and we will invite our listeners to join us. Oh, what at, an event at the that. Luau! And we'll uh, we'll put together a night where we can all sit together and and check it out. Because yeah, I'd I'd love to see it. We'll have a little poi together. That's right. So my gosh, Todd, there's there's oh. so much to talk about. We're I we're still want to keep going. I want to keep going. Yeah. It's getting late though. I mean, just a couple of things I just want to touch on real briefly is um, all of the signage that was done in the resort, as well as all the artifacts that we saw. Like, um, there's these beautiful bowls and, like, prows of um, of canoes um, that were all done by a company called Oceanic Arts, um, which is still in existence in Whittier, California. Uh, Bob and Leroy, um, they got the contract to do all of the carving uh for all of the signs were originally all done sorted by hand. Um, and in fact, if you go out to their facility, there's, there's one uh, that still hangs in the shop because they changed the name of a restaurant sort of at the last minute from the Bayview to something else. So they, they have this one sign that they, they couldn't send to Florida, but they, they did that gigantic sign for the Polynesian that used to stand out outside, um, which apparently they had a, Carved it in California, like had to put it into pieces and then reassemble it back in Florida. Um, all of the the large, like those Hawaiian um, Hawaiian style tiki's that are in the staircase, they did that. Did they, um, they did? Did they do the totems in in um, in Tangaroa Terrace as well? They did not do those. Those were um, somebody else, right? That was somebody else, and if you. Bob and Leroy did a phenomenal amount of work in there. Uh, when you walk around, like all the stuff that's hanging on the walls, all the little um, boards and things, that was all their work. And and a lot of those are actually stock items, so you can actually go out to their place and buy a lot of the stuff that's that's hanging up in the Polynesian even today. That's and cool. It's, it's not super expensive. It's you know it's not cheap, but uh, it's not a lot. Um, yeah, we didn't get to talk about the Tangaroa Terrace at all. Um, which I know served as a restaurant for uh, I don't know twenty years. Yeah, easily. I know we we did we did talk about quite a bit on the on the food episode. We dabbled a little bit into talking about uh, the food that was served there and a little bit about the arcade um, as well. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we didn't talk about my my grandparents' favorite longhouse, uh, the pool areas, the original lava pool. There's still a lot we we need to talk about and and go over, um, and also the second phase when they bought in uh, what is now Pago Pago and uh, uh, the the Tahiti and uh, I think another and I forget the other. There's building. there's a ton to discuss in detail, and, and I don't want to, and we still have to talk about the wave machine and right. all that stuff. So I, I don't want to hog the podcast for like all year to go over this. So <laughs> listen we'll to probably, our, oh, there's a collective yeah. groan coming over our fan base. So we'll probably have to save part three for later on and and talk about some other stuff. But um, yeah, we there's still a lot of history to get caught up on. I mean, we literally got to about seventy four or seventy five here. Yeah. Um. Now, so much more to go. What we will say is that uh, we are going to put out a a, uh, a small episode, probably a few weeks after this. Um, we had a uh, conversation. All four of us had a conversation with some individuals who worked at the Polynesian during the opening, uh, and we have some great background stories. We have some people who also uh, worked in Imagineering and and did some of the construction and design. Uh, of certain things that you will recognize today in the resort and we connected a couple dots too which was pretty neat and and you will hear our our shock and awe in some of the conversation um so we're going to get that edited and put out probably sometime after this will be a mini episode uh while it does dive into some other areas of the, of the park um you know of the resort rather it does uh, certainly focus in on um certain things that make waves and uh by that we mean a machine and newness as well. So, <laughs> so we will get to that. Well, how you know? Again, the master of ceremony is the master of all things tiki and luau, as I said in the very first episode when I introduced you, master of all things tiki. Um, thank you very much for your, as always, diligent research. And I know, as you said, we'll be diving into part three. Um, we do need to take ourselves away a little bit from Polynesia for a while. So before we uh, you know, go through our ending things, is there any idea, guys, where, where we want to go next? Well, how would I want to do some more hotels, but I feel like we need to venture back into the parks first. But mm. we should promise that a Hotel Plaza Boulevard episode is forthcoming. Yes, with a little preview of the preview center, I think. Yeah, so if you Probably have if you have memories or input uh, on having stayed at one of the non-Disney owned resorts on Disney property there along Hotel Plaza Boulevard, especially in the 70s, 80s and 90s, please drop us a line. All right, guys, so I know a lot of people want like Brian said, we should probably go back to the parks, and, and we've talked about Horizons and, and Journey Imagination. Those are all coming up. We've got a lot of work to do on those. Um, but what we say we take a trip back to maybe Communicore West or Communicore East, there's there's a lot in there to talk about that we could easily fill up. All right, well, we'll do that. We'll, we'll leave it as a surprise whether it's going to be East or West because I think each one probably is – has enough in there for its own episode. And why don't we have why don't we have the listeners vote? Oh, there we go. We have the listeners vote. So, so we'll set up a tweet vote and you can also send your your preferences to podcast at retrowdw.com. Uh, title it episode 38 choice. How's that? And uh we'll put you in. Let us know east or west. All right, before we sign off as always guys, uh we have some merchandise we like to let all of our listeners know about. Now, a little thing you may not know is, uh, or if you've been listening to us for a while, 
uh, you'll notice that we do not have any sponsors. And that is part of our plan, and we're going to continue that promise to you. Uh, the only way that we actually get funding is through you, our listeners, and uh, by uh, purchasing some of our merchandise and designs. Uh, we like keeping ourselves sponsor and ad-free as much as we can, especially here on the podcast. We want it to be all the way through from start to finish, just us talking and getting you the stories and, and fun that you want to hear. So with that said, um, we appreciate any type of uh, support you can give us. So you can see our t-shirts at retrowdw.com forward slash support us. And that will take you to the page where we've got t-shirts and mugs and um, uh, iPhone cases, all sorts of uh, great things, pillows and tapestries now and stickers. Um, how you edit a design last night, you teased us. You said we were going to have a Polynesian design and you sent him something completely different that, that threw me for a complete loop it's it's awesome <laughs> yeah i i realized you know we don't have anything about the railroad so no. I, did a, I did a railroad design because you know i think there's a group of people that really you know love the railroads that's right so, uh, so we needed something for them but this time i swear okay i'm actually we did not get to talk about it on this episode uh but, you know, one of my favorite little things is the old Eastern Winds uh, Chinese junk. So uh, yes. uh, I will be completing a Eastern Winds uh, T-shirt for the people that are fascinated like myself uh, with with that wonderful vessel. Very nice. And as always, we also have the nudist wave machine shirt, which obviously is, is, takes a pack. And now uh, for the railroad uh, people out there, you know, you, you did the the magic kingdom railroad with this one um are we gonna see a fort wilderness railroad come up you, you know what i think we're gonna have to okay all right and, and in breaking news too just the other night uh brian it was ashley what is her twitter at at mystic flights, oh mystic flights yeah mystic flights she went hiking uh through fort wilderness and she discovered that there's still track intact way back in the woods she said it's not recommended <laughs> that you try it but uh, she sent us uh, sent along some photos in there. Simply awesome that some of the track and rail bed is still out there. So pretty cool. So thank you, Ashley, for sending that in. Pretty pretty cool stuff. And uh, you know, hopefully we'll have a T-shirt designed for that in, in the near future. So again, check us out at retrowdw.com forward slash support us. And as always, pictures, photos, videos, all sorts of cool stuff at retrowdw.com. Um, we thank everybody for listening. Please, if you can, give us a shout-out on iTunes or Google Play or any other review site that you use. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you next month when you t- when we take you back to one of the communicores. With that said, thanks very much for listening. And Brian, take us out. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro WDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Retro WDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen. And on the web, at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter, at LS1JT on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Bye.